0: My prayer life is vibrant, and it's active daily. I like to commune with God at nighttime. I get under those warm covers, and I kiss my wife goodnight, Then I just start talking to God, just me and God, tell Him everything. <sighs> Makes me just sleepy just thinking about it. And there I am, just laying in bed, laying out my request to Him, and He's hearing me, and I know that I'm in good company with Him. Where was I?
1: When I like to get my prayer on, uh, there's some things I keep in mind. Um, I think it's totally awesome that uh, God is like Santa Claus, and he wants to give you the things that you want. Therefore, you need to keep lists of things. My list currently has 745 prayer requests on them. So then when I go to the Lord in prayer, it looks a little something like this. I'll just pray real quick. Um, Let's see, the Uno thing on my list is my mom, and so I'll pray for her now. Dear Heavenly Father, I lift up this sweet salt of the earth, lady, that you have blessed me with to be my mother, and I tell you thank you. And although I know that I'm called to respect her, and I give her all due respect, there's also an issue of something she truly needs, and that is to stop a yapping. Lord, she yaps and she doesn't know how to stop yapping. So could you please make her mute just for a day? Nothing permanent. Don't hurt her. I love her. Just mute her. Take your big God remote and push mute on her channel. That would be great. Henceforth, I would go on and pray all 746 things.
0: (laughs) give to God by enjoying what he has given me, okay? I mean, do you really think he expects something back? Now, I know there's a lot of people at church that would not understand this line of reasoning. That's why, just to make things simple and not to cause any controversy, I like to carry what I call the little empty envelope, all right? You see, when the plate gets passed, I bloop, put it in there like that. The deacon's counting the money. They only know me as the crazy empty envelope guy, but the people sitting around me, clueless. (laughs) I win, they win, God wins. No one gets hurt because no one knows. God knows.
1: Huh? Let me ask you a question, huh? How's your mutual fund? Hey, for that matter, how's all your funds? H- has the fund left your funds, huh? Has your do me taken a W-A-L-K, huh? <laughs> what if I told you that I knew about an investment you could make that the return would be Mind-boggling. And, and, and it's, it's promised. It's guaranteed. I know what you're saying. There's no guarantees. This one's guaranteed, okay? Malachi 3.10. So what it says in the Old Testament, it says, test me, give to God, and he will give you back. It goes like this. I give this, he gives this. I give this, he gives this. I give this, right up there. He keeps giving. I can't outgive God. How crazy is that? <laughs> Do I love him? Sure, whatever. I'm just saying, if you give, he gives
0: I think fasting's awesome. I mean, where else can you combine spirituality and dieting all in the same way? I mean, it gets a pound wrap, pound for pound it does. You know, people think it's for monks or supermodels and stuff like that. But I'm here to tell you it's for everybody. Last summer, I had a 20-year reunion slash barbecue slash swim party to go to, and I done but had to drop about 85 pounds. So thanks to fasting, what has two thumbs and look good in a swimsuit? This guy. Thank you, Jesus.
1: Fasting? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's great to uh, skip a meal or two so you can hear God's voice better, you know? Stay plugged into Him. Yeah.
2: You know, some people uh, fast from phones and music and gadgets. What?
1: That's, that's not a sacrifice. That's, that's not even biblical. I mean, that, that's crazy talk, you know? I mean, God gave us this stuff so we could stay plugged into Him. Maximize our lives.
2: It also keeps us busy enough to never be still or quiet.
1: Are you even a Christian?
2: I dare you to fast from your phone for one minute.
1: Fine. Minute. You got it. No biggie. I don't care. I probably should take that.
2: Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So what does that look like? What does it mean to practice our righteousness in such a way that we are, uh, you know, not putting on a show for God or, or using these religious activities to, to make much of ourselves, but to truly honor Him and His kingdom. That's the question that our journey through the Sermon on the Mount brings us to this morning as we come to Matthew 6, uh, verses 1 through 18, and this practice of true righteousness, a righteousness that honors the Lord, uh, things like giving, praying, and fasting. And if you've been with us through the sermon on the mount so far, you you'll be no stranger to this concept of righteousness. Jesus has been talking about it for a while, righteous living in his kingdom. In chapter 5, he we he talked about how our righteousness or he talked about righteousness relative to Israel's law and what that looks like. What's the interplay there? How a true righteousness is that which goes below the surface and comes from a heart tra- changed by the gospel. Uh, Here, as we get to chapter 6, he now zeroes in on three specific activities in order to illustrate what that looks like in our regular religious practices. So, fasting, giving, and praying, and he cuts right to the heart of the issue in verse 1. This is the whole point of the section. Verse 1, beware of practicing your righteousness before others in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So, what is Jesus especially concerned about here in these verses? Well, the first thing to note is that the problem is not the righteous activities themselves, right? The problem is not praying or giving or fasting. Jesus says, when you give, when you pray, when you fast, not if. He assumes his people will be doing all of these things. So, for instance, giving to those in need, or, or what's sometimes called almsgiving, uh, that was an important part of life for both ancient Israel and for the early church. So, in Deuteronomy 15, uh, the Lord says, if there's a poor man among your brothers in, in any of the towns of the land that the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted Toward your poor brother. Rather be open-handed and freely lend him whatever he needs. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your brothers and toward the poor and needy in your land. That was part of Israel's life and faith. And, and we see the same thing with the early church in the book of Acts, in Acts 245. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So, giving to those who have need is a good thing, according to Scripture. Uh, similarly with prayer. You know, prayer is a great thing, right? Uh, prayer is an indispensable part of our life in faith. Prayer is what happens when we remember that God is God and we are not, that, that He, this is His world, we are His creatures, we are His people, His church, that everything we have comes from His hand, and everything we need he alone can supply that's that's why we pray it's it's our faith and our dependence in action it's the way that we commune with a god whom we cannot see we we acknowledge his worthiness we uh, confess our sin we thank him for who he is and what he's done and we bring our request to him the way a child brings their request to their parents so prayer prayer's a good thing right and and the same can be said for the third example jesus uses which is fasting and, and fasting is, is probably less familiar to some of us in our tradition, though that's not necessarily a good thing. Uh, but fasting, like prayer, it's an expression of our dependence on and our need for God. It's, it's the discipline of saying no to certain earthly things, maybe food or habits or material stuff. Saying no for a time to certain physical appetites In order to focus our longings and our desires on God Himself. Uh, Ancient Israel's law only required fasting for one time a year uh, on the Day of Atonement, but as you walk through Scriptures, you see God's people fasting for a variety of reasons. Uh, For instance, things like confessing sin in Nehemiah 9, or bringing a burden or a request before the Lord in Exodus 24, or simply as an expression of my dependence on God. We see Jesus himself fast in the wilderness in Matthew 4. And it was a common part of the early church's worship as well. Acts 13, Acts 14. And so the problem that, that Jesus is turning his attention to here is not about the righteous activities themselves. Each of these things are good uh, right, Good practices Uh, before God. Neither is the problem necessarily practicing our righteousness before people in the presence of others. Uh, Remember what Jesus said just a few verses ago, chapter 5, verse 16, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who's in heaven. And so, so, part of our our calling as followers of Jesus is to show the world what God is like. So, being seen doing some of these things, even that's not the precise problem. So, what's, what's the problem then? Well, in this passage, it's doing these acts of righteousness before people in order to be seen by them. It's that last line of verse 1. That's where we run into trouble, to take an act of worship to god and turn it into an opportunity to build our own reputation to be seen as someone who's righteous and spiritual and so on we we turn our righteous practices our religious practices into a show essentially and frankly god is not impressed with our show when we do that i mean you you Notice the the consistent pattern by which Jesus addresses each practice in this passage. Uh, Hopefully, you caught a lot of repeated words and phrases throughout. When he talks about giving in verses 2 to 4 and prayer in verses 5 to 15 and fasting in 16 to 18, he begins each time by telling his followers what not to do. What not to do. Verse 2, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you like the hypocrites do. Verse 5, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Verse 16, when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. So, once again, Jesus is correcting a superficial and self-righteous way of, of doing religion, if you will, Uh, that that the Pharisees and the religious leaders in his day were known for. Uh, He's correcting them, telling us what not to do. You'll also notice in in this collection of uh, instructions that the middle one's a lot longer than the other sections, right? His comments on prayer take up a whole lot more real estate in the passage. And because Jesus gives more attention to prayer, we're going to give more attention to it as well. And we're going to come back to that section next week and look specifically at the Lord's prayer. So, today we're, we're taking in the big picture, the big picture of Jesus' comments, and His concern throughout this section is that His followers not be like the Pharisees, not be like the Pharisees, the religious leaders whom He describes over and over with one word, hypocrites. Hypocrites. So as we consider this big picture, I want to start where Jesus starts with this portrait of hypocrisy that he paints before us with each of these religious practices. So first, you know, the first question with that, if we're going to consider a portrait of hypocrisy, we need to understand what, is, what does it mean to be a hypocrite? Like, we throw that word around a lot, right? What does that actually mean, and what does it mean specifically here in Matthew 6? Well, very simply, a hypocrite is is someone who says one thing and does another, right? We all are familiar with that idea. Here in this passage, it's someone who pretends to be serving God while really just trying to look good for others. That's, That's the hypocrite. And that goal of looking good to others is repeated over and over in our passage. Verse 2, he wants to be seen by people. Verse, or verse 1. Verse 2, to be praised by others. Verse 5, to be seen by others. Verse 16, that he may be seen by others. So again and again, it's this desire to be seen. They, they, they wait to serve God till they're in a public place, there's a sufficient audience you know, the street corner, the synagogue, and then they do their religious practice so that all of you can see how wonderful I am and, and be impressed by me, right? Um, a hypocrite is essentially an actor. It's essentially an actor. And in fact, that's where the word comes from in classical Greek. It's those who wore masks and acted out a play. That's where we get that word. Uh, it's a fitting image. And, and Jesus gives us a, a hilarious portrait of it, right? I think the video we watched captures the tone of Jesus' description of all of these different ways that we might try and win the approval of others through our acts of righteousness. It's meant to be ridiculous and silly and over the top. Sometimes uh, folks will suggest that, you know, uh, with giving, for instance, that uh, the trumpet was maybe, maybe that was the call summoning people to come and give their alms. There's no historical evidence for anything like that. It's meant to be a silly, over the top image. It's like hiring a mariachi band to follow you at the end of the service as you, and singing songs about your generosity as you go place your gift in the box at the end. Like, just crazy, right? Uh, or else it's making the needy recipient hold, pose with you over the picture as you hand them a, an oversized check so that the press release it gets out there and everybody knows how generous you are, right? We want to be seen as this. As one author summarizes, that's not a gift in God's sight. That is a purchase. That is a purchase. This man is not helping the poor half as much as he is using the poor to help himself. Right? We want to be seen. Similarly, you know, you, you have the, the ridiculous picture of, you know, you go to lunch with some friends and one guy shows up and he's, you know in his pajamas, and he hasn't shaved for days, and he's just groaning, and, and his face is all contorted because he's fasting. And as everybody's ordering their foods, he's like, no, I'm sorry, I can't, I can't today, I'm fasting. And as everybody eats their foods and enjoy it, he's groaning, and you know, because he's fasting for God, like just putting on a show of our, of our fasting, right? One author explained, you know, what was once a sign of humiliation Fasting is, I am unworthy in your eyes, Lord. I'm going to, you know, take a lowly posture before you. It became a sign of self-righteous self-display. Look how holy I am. I'm fasting, right? Or, again, the awkwardness of watching somebody pray high and lofty prayers in public. Or like the Gentiles, heaping up phrases and in their prayer going on and 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 on. And on and on and on, right? As though they're going to somehow get God's attention or at least make you all think they're amazing. It's a goofy picture. So, why do the hypocrites put on a show? Because they seek a reward. They seek a reward, but not from God. Not from God now their eyes are set on what looks like a much more tangible and attainable prize the praise of the people that's what they're after right they have invested their identity and their significance their value in what everybody else thinks about them it's all about their image and approval another way to think of it it's religious grandstanding it's religious grandstanding so it's using religious practices for self-promotion Look at me. It's, frankly, what all of us are tempted to do every day when we weigh the reaction of others as we make our decisions. What will others say about this? What I wear? How I look? Which pictures I post on Facebook and which ones I delete? Which comment I make or which cause I retweet? You know, am, am I posting this because I care about this cause and I want to contribute to the conversation? Or am I posting this comment because I want to be seen as someone who cares about this cause? Right? It's a subtle line, but the world, it's worlds of difference, right? Or, or you know, our online community. Do, when I post the words praying or those little emoji hands, is it because I'm actually praying for that person and I want to encourage my brother or sister or is it because I want to be seen as someone who's praying? We've got to ask ourselves those questions. How large is the gap between what, how we act in public or online and who we really are? How large is that gap when there's no one there to see us do it? No one there to praise our actions or, or affirm our loyalty or approve our status. Because when what people see doesn't line up with who we really are, that's when we become like the Pharisees, mere hypocrites. And the reality is, people can see right through that. They can see right through it, right through our show. You know, it's an uncomfortable fact that one of Jesus' most frequent criticisms of the Pharisees in his day has become one of the most frequent criticisms of the church in our day. That word hypocrite, right? We all hear it. And we all hear it used against the church. In fact, in a relatively recent study on what young people outside the church think about the church today, 85% of young people outside of the church uh, conclude from their exposure to Christians and churches that present-day Christianity is Hypocritical. That's the word they use. And 47% of young people inside the church agree. Do our actions, our religious actions, match our lives? Are they real or are they a show? Whose kingdom are we serving through our worship? Whose praise are we seeking when we play that instrument or sing that song or teach that class or pray that prayer or preach that sermon, whose praise? It is so easy to turn our religious activities like giving, fasting, praying into a show in order to gain honor from people. And, And of course, the problem with hypocrisy is not only that God can see through it, excuse me, not only that people can see through it, but most importantly, that God can see through it, right? He's not fooled by our show either. In fact, it, that means that, that the reward for our righteous acts is as shallow and short-lived as the praise you receive in the moment of doing them. Like God's not fooled, right? So, so Jesus says three times in this passage, truly, truly, I say to you, they have received their reward in full. There's no reward in heaven left for that righteous action because you just got your reward from the praise of the people. That's all there is. Nothing more. I mean, it's like a a full-time actor whose only compensation is the standing ovation at the end of the day. And it's wonderful in that moment, right? Everybody loves you and is, is praising you. And then you go home to an empty cupboard and an empty table. Like, how shallow and and fleeting is that shallow and short-lived is the reward of the hypocrite but the righteous acts that god rewards the righteous acts that god rewards are those offered to him in secrecy and sincerity for the sake of his kingdom and that's the, the second picture Jesus gives us in these verses. He paints the portrait of religious hypocrisy, but then shows us the other side of that, a portrait of religious sincerity, what our faith and our actions ought to truly look like. So immediately following each criticism, he then describes what this should look like. And the emphasis in every example he gives here is on the secrecy of, of our righteous activities, the secrecy and the sincerity of it. And so if hypocrisy is doing, you know, saying one thing and doing another, sincerity means that what you see is what you get. It's serving God from genuine faith, not divided by this world and competing loyalties, but a genuine faith for His kingdom and for His pleasure alone. That's sincerity. And so, in terms of giving, Jesus says, when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So, instead of announcing your gift with trumpets and so on, your care for the poor should be so subtle and so consistent that you don't even realize or remember that you're doing it. It's just part of how you operate, right? And of course, you know, most of us are not going to be so ostentatious as to hire that mariachi band or something like that, but, but we can find other ways of, of tooting our own horn for our giving, right? And we take the selfie with, with the person we're, we're helping or, or we find ways to work it into strategic conversations where we're going to benefit from that person knowing what we've done But when we do it in secret, when we do it in secret and no one else knows, then the only one that you can please is the Lord. He's the only one able to offer any sort of reward. So giving, our gift is offered in faith and in sincerity for the sake of His kingdom and can receive no reward except from Him. In terms of prayer, Jesus says something similar, but when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Again, that emphasis on secrecy, right? Which you know, doesn't mean it's never appropriate to pray in front of others or in a group or in public, right? Praying together as the people of God is an important part of our communion. And so, Jesus prays in public. It's not, he's not giving a blanket prohibition of praying in the presence or proximity of anybody else. But if I'm more interested in being seen as someone who prays powerful and profound prayers than I am in just praying, I need to be reminded who my prayers are to and who they're ultimately for. If my prayer is to God then it's okay if nobody else can hear it. He's the one it's to. And if my prayers are for God, then, then what I pray for is going to be driven and aligned with His kingdom and His desires, and I can pray with confidence because I know that He already knows what I need before I even ask. And we'll talk more about that vision for prayer that Jesus models here again uh, when we look at uh, come back to this next week. In terms of fasting, Jesus says in verse 17, But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Again, to ask myself that question, who am I fasting for? Who is this for? Is this... Am I trying to impress others? You know, have have I turned, uh, turned my fast into a spiritual weight loss program so I end up looking really good on the other side of this thing? Or is God the one I'm fasting for? If God is the only one who knows about my fast, well, he's the only one who can take pleasure in it, right? He's the only one. And he's the only one who can reward it if it's offered in faith and sincerity for the sake of his kingdom. So, to practice our righteousness in secret is to practice it solely for God. He is the singular audience in our righteous offerings, our righteous activities. Not to make a show of it, but as an act of worship. And Jesus says in every example here that this is the kind of righteous action that God actually rewards. Now we're not told what that reward is here. Like, is it is it the praise of the Father on the last day when He says, "Well done, good and faithful servant"? Is it something more tangible or different? Uh, we, we're not told. We do know that it's not a matter of earning our righteousness before the Father, uh, or or kind of trying to make it up to Him for our sin, as though we can purchase His forgiveness through our works. Again. Keith mentioned at the beginning of, of the service that today is is Reformation Day, that, that day we mark uh, a momentous turn in reclaiming the simplicity and truth of the gospel as salvation by grace through faith. It's not what we do for God, it's what Christ has done for us. So, we know that's not what he's talking about. We don't know precisely how God rewards our sincere acts of righteousness, we do know that the righteous acts He rewards are those offered to Him in secrecy and sincerity for the sake of His kingdom. It's for Him, not for y'all, right? It's for Christ alone. And the challenging part with that is it means that at some point then in my in my religious activity in my in my walk with Jesus I have to let go of control. Like the beauty of legalism or the beauty of of trying to turn relationship with Jesus into a performance is that I maintain a level of control on the outcome. I do my things, therefore God has to do his things. That's the calculus, right? But if if what Christ rewards are not that which I do, you know, in order to put on a show or a performance, but but simply what, uh, you know, that comes from his affection and our union with Christ, that means I don't have any control over the results of this. I, it, means, it means I have to have faith. It means I have to operate by faith in my walk with the Lord. I can't see it. I can't predict it. That's a hard place to be. But listen to what Hebrews 11.1 1 tells us. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. I want to see it. I want to control it. But God, it's the things not seen that must drive our life, those things that require us instead to surrender to God. Hebrews 11 continues in verse 6, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So if I truly want to please God, I have to stop with the show and instead I have to trust, one, that he exists, two, that he can see what no one else can see, and three, that he desires to reward those who earnestly seek him. I have to walk by faith. In other words, I have to believe the gospel. I have to believe the gospel of Jesus, that through my union with Christ, that I am a child of the Father, and that these righteous acts that I do, they're not some sort of purchase. Rather, they're the fruit of a deep relationship and a result of His affection for me. As one author points out, listen to what Sinclair Ferguson points out about this passage. He writes, notice that in Matthew 6, 1 through 18, God is called Father on ten different occasions. Throughout the section of the sermon, our Lord hints that the real trouble with the heart of the hypocrite is that he does not know God as his heavenly Father. That's where all of this comes from. He's insecure before God and therefore seeks security in what his fellow men think about him. He's unreal in his activities before men because he has no real relationship with God. But if we are united with Christ by faith, if our sin has been dealt with, if we have been adopted into his family, if his approval of us is not based on what we do but what Christ has done for us guess what we have no need for the approval of man it doesn't matter a blessed bit whether somebody else sees me serving god he sees it he rewards it and that's enough that's enough his love his affection his pleasure that's enough and so a few questions to reflect on this morning as we close. First, and most important, do you know God as your Heavenly Father? Do you know God as your Heavenly Father? All of this desire to show up for church, to pray, to uh, do whatever religious activities you, you may have a habit of doing, it's nothing if you do not know God as your Heavenly Father. If you have not trusted in Christ alone alone, For the forgiveness of your sins what he's done for you through his life death and resurrection to make you his own to deal with your sin and to adopt you into god's family that is the absolute most important part of following god none of our religious activities matter without a relationship with god through christ so that's the first question and if that's a question you have never thought about before or a question that maybe you've been thinking about for a long time, we would love to talk to you after the service and sit down and, and talk about what does that mean, what does that look like. But that's the first one. Do you know God is your heavenly Father? Second, if so, if that's true of you, do you believe that when God looks at you, He sees His beloved child? Do you believe that when you pray, when you serve Him, that when God looks at you, He sees His beloved child, who has been united with His eternal Son, clothed in the righteousness of Christ, cleansed by His blood, and warmly invited into the presence of our God and Father, who is also our friend. Do you believe that, that that's what God lo- sees when He looks at you? Third, do you believe that when you pray to God, that God loves to hear your prayers? That it's not a burden to Him to hear you talk about your day, your disappointments, your frustrations, your questions, your joys, because He already knows what you need before you ask, and that there's joy for Him when you come before Him. Because just the joy of, of of a young child running to mom or dad and climbing up into their lap to have a conversation, do we see that same joy? Do we believe that's true of our Lord when we come to Him? And then fourth, do you believe that when God sees you honor Him in secret, when He sees that anonymous gift to someone in need that nobody else ever finds out about, or when he sees you saying no to some earthly craving or hunger in order to direct my hunger and desires to God, that when he sees that, he smiles. He finds pleasure in our worship because Christ has taken our feeble, imperfect offerings and perfected them with His own blood such that our worship brings joy to our Father as he receives it and knows that he has prepared the reward for that day when we stand before him. If you are in Jesus Christ, if he is your king, if he is your savior, your brother and your friend, that's the hope and security you have before God. That's the hope and security that we need to rest in as we serve God, as we do these different religious righteous activities It's a hope that we can't see, but we can be confident in. We don't have to put on a show. With that confidence, we are free to walk in the way of sincerity and to offer our worship, our righteous acts to God in secrecy and sincerity for the sake of His kingdom, because His reward is enough. It's all that matters. Let's pray. Gracious Father, Lord, we confess, as we have so often throughout the Sermon on the Mount, that we stand guilty of so many of the things that you correct us for. And Lord, yet we confess with hope, knowing that Christ is our sufficient Savior, knowing that no righteous living in this sermon comes from what is inside us, Lord, for we are poor in spirit. But rather, it is the gift of what Christ has done. It is the strength of your Spirit within us. And so, Lord, would you help us to zero our focus in on you? Lord, keep us from grandstanding. Keep us from from caring too much about what others think or say of us. Help us to walk and to live for Christ alone, for his pleasure and glory, that we might be faithful servants of your kingdom. We ask it in his name, amen.